We're going to be looking today in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse number 1. And so if you have your Bible and you'd like to kind of look into what we're going to be reading today, you can go ahead and turn there. Easy way to find it is to go to the middle of your Bible, and once you hit Psalms, it's going to be the next book to your right. So it's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse number 1. Uh, Whenever a fog prevents a small boat sailor from seeing a buoy that he needs to use to be his guide about where he needs to go, what that small boat sailor will do is he will take his boat and he will drive it rapidly in circles. And the reason why he does that, it's in the middle of the fog, he will do that so that the waves will lap up against the buoy and then it will begin to make a noise. And then whenever he hears that buoy, then he will begin to drive his boat in that direction so that he knows where to go. Now, that's, that's kind of an interesting thought to me because I thought, you know, there are times whenever, if we're going to go in the right way, if we're going to go in the direction that we need to go, there are times when we're going to be called to make waves in order to do it. Uh, someone once said, a boat that stays in the harbor never encounters danger, but it also never gets anywhere. And so that that thought made me think about myself, it made me think about the church. And I began to realize that if we're going to get somewhere, sometimes it's going to require us as people and as a church to make waves. Now that is sort of contrary to the way that I think, that's sort of contrary to the way that I live, because I am a person typically that does not like to to make a whole lot of waves. I'm all about hedging my bets. You know, I'm all about playing it safe. But, But God has not called for his people, he's not called for the church to play it safe. What he's called for us to do is to live and to act in faith. And that is, that is not hedging your bets if you decide that you're going to live your life in this way. There is always risk that is involved in every part of life. I mean, there's risk in marriage. Did y'all know this? Uh, there's times when I'll talk to people and they're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to get married. I mean, what if I get married and my, and my wife or my husband and I don't get along? Let me tell you something. Been there, done that. But I can tell you this, the greatest thing that has happened in my life has been marrying Emily. Now, I'm not just saying that because she's here. I will say it again in the second service. Uh, Now, there's some people, when they talk about risk, they say there's risk in having children. You know, know, children, they are expensive, right? If I have children, they're going to suck up my time. Those those two things, they are absolutely true. And I'm looking at a little baby right here. That is true. But here's the great news. The greatest blessings that I've experienced in my life are my children. They are a great blessing. And so the fact is, if I'm going to see reward, if you're going to see reward in your life, there are times when it's going to require of you to take risk. And so that's why we're looking in our scripture today. In our passage of scripture, we're going to see this man named King Solomon who very simply tells us, don't play it safe. I mean, it's sort of like that old saying, you either go big or you go home. If you want to see rewards, if you want to see God move, then it's going to require risk on your part. 
And so that's why we're going to look in Ecclesiastes 11, and this section of Scripture is known as wisdom literature. Now, the guy who wrote this passage of Scripture is a man named Solomon. What do we know about Solomon? Or what do you know about Solomon? This is where you get to participate with me. What do you know about Solomon? Who is he? He's a king. David was his dad. What else about him? He's wise. Wise king. Now, here's what's strange to me about that. Y'all know how many wives he had? Wives and concubines? Over a thousand. Okay, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, hmm, wisdom literature. Is he really all that wise? I don't know. But the Bible says he is. All right, Ecclesiastes. What do you know about the book of, of Ecclesiastes? Do you know anything about the book? You know, whenever you read through it, what is one thing that you will notice as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes? What does Solomon say about life over and over and over again? I'll help you out. All is vanity. It is meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. That's what Solomon has to say about life. Now, does that encourage you? Is life meaningless? Is it pointless? Well, it is meaningless and it is pointless if you are living for yourself. If you are living where you are making yourself the center of everything that happens in the world. But it becomes different whenever God is the centerpiece of your life. And Solomon says, if we are going to see reward and blessing in this life, here's what Solomon says, don't play it safe. Take chances. Take risk. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about going to Vegas. Take risk in placing your hope and your confidence in God. All right, so what kind of risk are involved if we decide we're going to live like this? Well, it, it begins with this. So here's the first risk that, that Solomon shares with us. He says, don't play it safe. Now look with me in verse number one. And this is a strange verse. And I, 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 I looked at this verse trying to figure out what it means. It says this, send your bread on the surface of the waters, for after many days you may find it. Y'all see the wisdom in that verse right there? I was like, what in the world? I mean, what is that talking about? And that's why a lot of people are like, I read the Bible, I don't know what in the world it's saying. It says, send your bread on the surface of the waters, and after many days, if I find it, I think it's going to be soggy. I don't know about y'all. So, so what was the point Solomon's trying to make here? Well, when he says send, that word send, it is referring actually to imports and exports. And, okay, how did you get that? I don't know. That's what a commentary told me. So that's what it says, send your bread upon the water. Now, the, the, the country of Israel is located on the Mediterranean Sea. And this actually kind of begins to make sense a little bit. It's located on the Mediterranean Sea. So for that country to make money, whenever they had, uh, whenever they had anything that they wanted business-wise to transact with other countries, they would put it on a boat and send it out to other countries. Now, now, why did they do that? So that they would be able to make money. Now, the other word, bread, it's referring to grain. So he kind of began to put things together. So what was an export that came from Israel? Well, it was their grain. Where would they send it? They would send it to countries that needed grain. 
So Solomon is saying here, you want to take your grain and when you send it out, you were hoping that one day you're going to see a return on the money that you have sent out. So they were, they were sending out their grain in order to make money. They were sending their bread on the surface of the waters. So why did they do this? They did this to make a living. They sent it to countries who were willing to pay for their grain. Now let me ask you this. Is, was there a risk involved in them doing this? The answer is yes. Okay, now why was there a risk involved? Very simple. If you put, if you put grain on a ship and you send it out, there is a chance that the boat will sink. Right? Now, if the boat sinks, what happens to the guys that have put the grain on the ship? They lose their money. So what's the safest thing for a person to do? Don't send it out. Keep the grain for yourself. Protect yourself. That way, if you don't send it out, then you're never in danger of having a boat that is going to sink. But there's a problem with that. If they just simply kept everything for themselves, then there would be so much excess that eventually that grain is going to rot and they're not going to make a profit from it. Okay, you might say, well then, okay, that sounds good business-wise. How does this make any sense for the church? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that most people in the church will at least think this. They will say, I desire to see great things happen for God in my community. I desire to see God move powerfully in the church. I think most people in most churches, at least in our community, will say that. And yet, worldwide, I would have to say this. We don't see generally a whole lot happen. Why is that? Because there's risk. We become scared. We think, what if I decide I'm going to take a risk and it doesn't pay off? What if I decide that I'm going to reach out into the community that I'm going to tell people about God and they don't want to receive it. It doesn't work. And then we think if I invest and I do those things, then that will be a waste. And so what's the easy thing to do? The easy thing to do is for us as believers not to do anything. You know, it's a whole lot easier to talk about what should happen and what needs to be done than to actually get up and go do something. Now think about that for a minute. If we're really going to reach people with good news, if we're really going to see God move, then it's going to require something of us. It's going to require work. It's going to require us not sitting on the couch watching television. And I like to do that. But if our church is going to imitate Christ in our community, then it's going to require effort. It's going to require finances from our church. And I promise you, it's a whole lot easier to do nothing than it is to do something. But if we don't do anything, then guys, we will never see a reward. We will never see God move. Uh, back in 1976, I, this is an interesting story, there's a guy named Ronald Wayne. Any of y'all ever heard of Ronald Wayne? He was one of the three co-founders of Apple Computer. Now, 1976 was a big day for him because in 1976, he sold his 10% share in Apple for $800. Now, in 
He also got an extra $1,500 for saying that he would not make any future stakes in Apple. Today, Apple is worth over $600 billion. So think about that for a second. This is like such a depressing story, and I'm sure he's thinking, I'm so, gr- I'm so glad a pastor's using me as an example. His 10% share today would be worth $60 billion, and he sold it for $800. That's my kind of businessman right there. That's, that's me. Okay, now, why in the world did Ronald Wayne do that? couple things. One, it was 1976. He had no idea the company was going to become what it is today. Number two, very simply, he needed the money then, right, right then. But that's not the tragedy. The tragedy is that there are many more people who end up selling themselves out for pennies on the dollar when it comes to their relationship with God because they want to fulfill their needs and their pleasures now. And we miss out on the wealth of God. Christians, let me tell you something. We are sitting on a massive amount of wealth as believers. We, according to the Bible, are heirs of Christ. Ephesians 1, 18-20 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, the, may, know, may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You are an inheritor of that kind of power. So what does that mean for us? Guys, let us send our bread out on the water expecting a return. I say, well, what can we do? Three, three dates. We're, we're, we're saying this year, as we do this series throughout the year called Big, that we're going for the first 100 days. Here's three big days for us, the first 100 days. Very first one, Super Big Sunday, February 4th. I want to encourage people on your calendar, circle that day, February 4th. March 18th, it's going to be Big Serve Day. We're going to go out in our community, we're going to serve our community. The next one is April 1st, Easter Sunday. Biggest day we always have every year. In our church, I'm, churches all across the world. Those are three big dates that we want you to circle and we want you to begin to pray and say, God, we are praying for you to move in a special way on those three days. We are going to send our bread out on the water and we're going to look for you to move. Now, is that, is that the safe thing to do? It's not, it's not the safe thing to do. There's a risk involved, but the Bible says, Solomon says, don't, don't play it safe. You want, to see, you want to see God move, don't play it safe. You want to see God move, here's a second risk. Let go. Be willing to let go. Look in verse number two. Solomon wrote, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. All right, now I'm going to be honest with you. One of the most difficult things that a parent, that I, as a parent I've experienced, is, is sending off two, we have three children, so we've sent off two of our children off to college. And uh, so that, the first two are Hank and Glenn, Jenny's going to be the third one, that's going to kill me. So the first two, we sent off the boys. We sent them off, that was, that was, a, that was a, for me, that was a sad day for me. 
It's just sort of, it's just this strange feeling. Now, it's normal. That's what we're supposed to do as parents, right? We're supposed to tell our kids to leave. I think more parents probably need to do that. And so we get our kids to to go away, and they go away. But, you know, that, that that changed my life. I changed my life Saturdays are no longer spent watching game day and ESPN. It's now HGTV. So it just becomes a, it becomes a different it becomes a different life whenever whenever your kids leave. But for our children to reach their full potential, there, there has to come a time when I let go, right? Now is that a risk? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute risk, but the reward is watching them growing and to be their own people, being mature, responsible citizens, uh, being a light in the community for Jesus in which they live. Now, now, Solomon was not talking about children in our passage of Scripture here, but I believe the concept is, is the same. He was speaking of a return on your investment. And if you look in verse number 2 again, he says, Give a portion. That word portion, it is referring to a person's estate or provision. And so he's saying what well, you, you give away a part of your estate and your provision to others in order to be a blessing to others people. You have received so that you can give to others to be a blessing to them. Now that's not my nature. My nature is when I have something and it's mine, I'm keeping it for me. I'm not giving it to anybody else. It is my nature to want to hoard things for myself, to keep things for me, because if I let it go, there's a risk involved there. What if they don't, what if they don't take care of what I give them? What if they don't appreciate what I give them? But here's the deal. If I'm not willing to risk by giving, if I'm not willing to risk by serving others, I'm not going to see a return. I'm not going to see God move. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. That's an interesting verse to me. The the first part, a generous person will be enriched. That, That doesn't make sense. If I give away, then I receive. Now, the, the text is not saying, Solomon's not saying you give so that you will receive something back for yourself. He's just simply saying, whenever you give, whenever you serve others, you are emulating Jesus. But whenever you give and whenever you serve, you are always blessed. Whenever you give, whenever you serve, has it been your experience that there's joy that comes with that? You know, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said in the book of Acts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, when we're generous with who we are, when we share the gifts we have and the blessings we've received, let me tell you what happens. There is life. When you share, there's life. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, um, our family and some people from church, we were in Israel. And in Israel, there's two major bodies of water. In, the northern, in northern Israel, there is the Sea of Galilee. And in southern Israel, there is the Dead Sea. Uh, two bodies of water, they're not that far apart, and yet they are very different. Now, they're both fed by the same water source. They're fed by the Jordan River. The Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee. And everywhere, northern, I love northern Israel. Northern Israel, it's very green uh, the, the sea is teeming with life. There's over 20 different species of fish that are in the Sea of Galilee. I love to fish, so that just, you know, that fast. I want, my goal is wanting to go there and to actually fish when I'm there. And so the Sea of Galilee is just full of life, and then it, it, it has an outlet 
and it flows out of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River does, and it feeds into the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea is so much bigger than the Sea of Galilee. It's huge. And so the Sea of Galilee, or the Dead Sea, it is at the lowest point on earth, and it doesn't have any outlet whatsoever. All it does is collect water from the Jordan River, and it just collects there. Uh, over 100 million gallons of water evaporate every day out of the Sea of Galilee, or out of, uh, out of the Dead Sea. It is full of minerals. It's, it's, so, so it's 11 times saltier than the ocean. It is so salty. There is no life whatsoever in the Dead Sea, hence the name. Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, full of life. Now, I have a couple pictures, a few pictures I was going to show you of the area. Now, this is the Dead Sea. Um, Bubba is actually, he's not in here in this service today, but he's one of those guys floating on the water. They tell you not to be in there for more than like 15, 20 minutes because it's so salty. Bubba was in there for two hours. Uh, just absolutely crazy. So that's how, that's how salty it is. You get in that water, you, you float on top of the water. It is crazy. We have another picture too. Um, now, okay, now that was the Dead Sea. This one right here, this is the Sea of Galilee. See all the trees? Sea of Galilee? All trees all around it. The Dead Sea, if you look at the Dead Sea picture, nothing. That's just all dirt. Nothing around it. Next picture, Sea of Galilee. Look at that. That's a, that they grow crops there. Beautiful area. One has life, and one's dead. The Dead Sea receives, but it has no outlet, so everything around it is dead. Village Church, we are living in a world today that in general is in desperate need of life. And if we want to see life, you know what it's going to require of us? To share. To give. That's why it's a major purpose of this church to share our ministry in our community. It's why we've gone into our community throughout the years in order to serve, because we want to be a blessing to our community around us, and we believe the only way we ever see life is when Christians share. Now, is that, is that a risk? Absolutely. Not everybody wants to hear from us. Not everybody likes the message we have to share, but there's a lot of people whose lives have been transformed by the power of Jesus because Christians have been willing to engage culture. Now, there's, there's a risk involved. We decide we're going to honor God and live for Jesus. What are the risks? Solomon says, don't play it safe. Be willing to let it go. And then here's the last risk, and that's it's trusting God. There comes a time where if we're going to see rewards, we have to trust God. Verse number 6, it says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Now we'll explain this in a second, but I, I believe one of the most difficult things for a person to do in life is to trust to take something that you have, to put it in the hands of somebody else, and trust them with it. Now, that doesn't seem like that's hard to do, but if, you, if any of us have lived for any period of time, that is difficult for many of us to do, because all of us at one point or another in our lives, and if not yet, it will soon happen, we get burned by other people. And we just, begin, we just build up this defense mechanism of, I will never trust anybody, and if I don't trust anybody, then I'll never get hurt. And I understand that, that mode of thinking. That's me. But here's the deal. If we, if we have that mode of thinking with God, we're not going to see God move. 
we're not going to see God bless. Now, Villa Church, if, if we're going to see God move, if we're going to see God do big things, then it will require us to trust God. Now, that's the point. Solomon was making in our text. He gives the example of a farmer. He says if a farmer is going to produce a crop or have a crop, what does he have to do? He's got to plant seeds. Now, if a farmer wants to have a big crop, what does he have to do? He's got to plant a lot of seeds. Does that make sense? Big crop, lots of seeds. Okay, church, here's how this applies to us. If we desire to see God move in this church, see God move in our lives, see God move in our community, guess what that means we've got to do? We've got to plant seeds. Not just some seeds, but we've got to plant a lot of seeds. I don't know about y'all, but hey, if I want to be planting seeds, might as well plant a whole bunch of them so we can have a big crop. That's what Solomon is teaching us here. Now you might say, well, how do we, how does Village Church plant seeds? What are we going to do in order to produce a crop? Because let me tell you something, if we're going to plant seeds, we need to understand it requires work. So how do we plant seeds here? Well, that's why we have our C4 ministry at the church. We said the way we're going to engage culture is in four different areas of ministry. We're going to do it in our community, in our campus ministries, our care ministries, and our civic ministries. Now, now what are those? Well, let me give you an example of the way that we serve the community in our church. We, we, we do two big events in our church, two of the biggest events we do in our church, to serve our community, to show that we are engaging the community, that we care for them, we do an Easter extravaganza, which is coming up in April. Uh, we do balloons and tunes where we go out in the community, and when we're just there, we are there to serve them. So we are a church that is here for you. Uh, we engage our culture, our campuses. Just a couple little things that we do that I'll share. One is at Round Top Elementary. Our church is involved in child evangelism fellowship, where children are told about Jesus in school. Uh, we're involved at Blythewood High School, where we do our our post-game ministries after every home football game. That's another way that we plant seeds. Another area where we plant seeds is also in our care ministries. Well, one of the things that we do in our church is we help minister to families who are in our community, in our church, who have members of their family who are deployed in the military. Another thing that we do is every year we go to Haiti and we work with children trying to let them know that they have a future. We plant seeds in our civic ministries by making the church aware of issues that are coming before our political leaders so that our, so that our community will hear a Christian voice. Now, do we have any guarantees that we're going to produce a crop from any of these things? We don't. But just like a farmer plants seeds, he's planting seeds waiting for the crop to come. Village Church, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be a church that plants seeds. God did not call me or you to make a crop. Only God makes a crop. God called you and me and this church to plant seeds. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to plant seeds, and we're going to plant a lot of seeds, and we're going to wait and see what God does. So here, here's the challenge for us this year. Villagers, let us not be afraid to put seeds in the ground. Let's do it. Let's trust that God will make something happen. Now that doesn't sound hard to do, but I think a lot of times it is hard for us to do. Why? Because I think basically what happens a lot of times, we just get scared. 
You never, what if nothing happens? I'm not blaming me. Nothing happens. I plant, if we plant seeds and nothing happens, that's God's deal. God just simply called me to plant seeds. He called you to plant seeds. That's what we're going to do. We're going to plant seeds and we're going to trust God. But there can be fear. You know, there was a, I read a story about whenever uh, jets were first invented, where they really struggled with jets. You know, before it was propeller planes. And so whenever a pilot had a problem with this plane, the, the pilot could basically just open up the canopy and hop out of the plane and then open up his parachute. But the jet's a little bit different because they fly a whole lot faster. And so you actually had to press a button and it would, you, the ejection seat would, would shoot, you'd be shot out of the plane. Now, when you're going really fast, I would think that would probably be pretty terrifying. Now, when they first came up with these ejection seats, they found a couple of little problems. One of the biggest problems was whenever the pilots went out of the seat and they're, you know, they're, I mean, they're being hurtled through the air, uh, the pilots, what they're supposed to do is when they come out of the seat, they were to lean forward so that, their, so that their parachute could deploy. Well, as they get rocketed out of the plane, what they discovered is that a lot of the pilots would not lean forward. Instead, they would just hang on to the seat. They were scared to death. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. How is hanging on a seat, onto a seat, hurtling through the air, going to save your life? You know, it's not. So they had to create something else in that seat, and that was something to, that would propel them forward when they came out of the seat so that the parachute could open. Now, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, in, in this life, there are many of us, we are called to launch out of our seats. And yet, too many times, we are hanging onto our seat, afraid to lean forward and let God's parachute of blessings open up. So what is it going to take to launch me, to launch our church out of our seats so that we can see God move? Well, for me, here's what it comes down to. I know this, if I don't do anything... Nothing is going to happen. Y'all, I want something to happen. I want you to be like me in that you desire to see God move. To see God move in your life. To see God move in the life of this church. Because let me tell you something, whenever we trust God, God comes through. You know, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 says this about God's word. It says, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, listen to what it says. It says, So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will, it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Guys, when we plant seed, the seed of God's word, when we are willing to engage our community, God says it will prosper. I want to see big things happen. But if it's going to happen, there's risk. Solomon says, take some risk. Don't play it safe. Let go. And trust God. And let's see what God does this year. Heavenly Father, I thank, you for, I thank you for your encouragement. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you have called us to live big. You have called us to live boldly. And it's not because of who we are, but God, it is because of who you are. And you just simply are calling each one of us to allow you to work through our lives. Because God, when we become an open vessel for you to work through, Lord, you do big things. 
Lord, I pray that this year we're going to see God move in a way we've never seen before. God, I pray that we will see lives transformed and changed. I pray that we will see that we will see you represented more than ever before in our community. God, I pray that our community, the people around us, will see that Jesus is worth the risk. And I pray these things in Christ's name.